0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Great America Show. I'm Lou Dobbs, and thanks for being with us in what can only be described as a crazy week that we're having in America. A crazy election last week, and I do mean crazy, but not as crazy as the Republicans who just don't seem to ever learn. Marxist Dems cheat they cheat that's all there is to it so the Republicans have a simple choice either stop the Dems cheating or perhaps make a few adjustments of our own what do you think but whatever we do understand what we keep doing over and over again just doesn't work out so well so it's time to change what we do the good news is that number 45 wants to be number 47 and thank God. President Trump announcing he's running for president. Of course, that means the Marxist Dems and Deep State will just go after him harder. But at least this time, we well and truly understand what the corrupt and nasty Attorney General, Justice Department, and the FBI are. And President Trump's in, Nancy Pelosi, is out. So far, so good and the Republicans finally got her fired as Speaker of the House. She announced she's giving up not only the Speaker's gavel, but she's not going to run for any leadership job in the new Congress.
0: There is no greater official honor for me than to stand on this floor and to speak for the people of San Francisco. This I will continue to do as a member of the House, Speaking for the people of San Francisco, serving the great state of California, and defending our Constitution. And with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress.
1: Can't wait to learn which whacked out Marxist DIM is going to replace her as DIM leader. Which brings up who will be Speaker. Maybe Rhino Kevin McCarthy. He did, after all, win the conference nomination. But he is a huge disappointment as minority leader. And we may see other Republican leaders emerge. Andy Biggs has stepped up. Congressman Jim Jordan says he doesn't want the job. And Congressman Jim Banks won't be in leadership because he refused to endorse Donald Trump. So we'll just have to wait and see for a bit. But no waiting for the House Republicans to take action. To their immense credit, Congressman Jim Jordan and James Comer came out swinging. Jordan will be the House Judiciary Committee chairman. Comer will chair the House Oversight Committee. Here's Comer announcing the committee has evidence that President Joe Biden and his son Hunter engaged in criminal acts. And Congressman Comer makes it clear this is an investigation of the President of
2: the United States. This is an investigation of Joe Biden, the president of the United States, and why he lied to the American people about his knowledge and participation in his family's international business schemes. National security interests require the committee conduct investigation, and we will pursue all avenues, avenues that have long been ignored. Committee Republicans have uncovered evidence of federal crimes committed by and to the benefit of members of the president's family. These include conspiracy or defrauding the United States, Wire fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, violation of the Foreign Agents Registration Act, violations of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, violations of the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, tax evasion, money laundering, and conspiracy to commit money laundering. The Biden family's business dealings implicate a wide range of criminality from human trafficking to potential violations of the Constitution. In the 118th Congress, this committee will evaluate the status of Joe Biden's relationship with his family's foreign partners and whether he is a president who is compromised or swayed by foreign dollars and influence. I want to be clear. This is an investigation of Joe Biden, and that's where the committee will focus in this next Congress.
1: And here is Congressman Jim Jordan on the FBI and Biden corruption in the 2020 election. Here's the Congressman.
0: Is the FBI going to quit interfering with elections? 2016, they spied on President Trump's campaign. 2018, it was the Mueller investigation. 2020, they suppressed information about the Hunter Biden story. 2022, they raided the president's home 91 days before the election. Maybe it'd be nice if the FBI and the Justice Department just stayed out of it and let we, the people, decide who we think should represent us, who we think should lead us. That's supposed to be how America works. So this is the focus on the Judiciary Committee, the political nature of the Justice Department, and the linkage now to what was happening with the Hunter Biden story Again, just 15 days before we have a presidential election.
1: The Republicans take over the House on January 3rd. Washington, I assure you, will have a different atmosphere when the Republicans take over. And by then, the question of who will be Speaker and Senate Leader should be settled. Right now, it looks as though both McCarthy and McConnell have been bloodied but still standing. We'll see what happens. Our guest today is the president of the Center for Renewing America, Russ Vogt. He's a great American, former director of the Office of Management and Budget, deputy director as well in the Trump administration. Russ, thanks for being with us here on The Great America Show. Good of you to join us. And Russ, is Mitch McConnell entrenched as leader forever?
0: You know, I don't think he is. I mean, I think he, he just won a vote, uh, but I think that, you know, 10 members, 10 senators, the fact that there was an opponent, uh, that is that is significant. And um, I do think that there are uh, new questions that are, are, members are going to have, even if their senators voted for him, um, you know, it was not good for him that this occurred. And so, uh, you know, I think I'm not suggesting it's going to lead to fundamental change, but uh, I do think that that uh, it, you know it, it, these have been uh, significant events since the outcome of of Tuesday last Tuesday's election, um, and although I know that there's going to be a lot of folks disappointed that there was only ten, um, you know I think that's part of of of, of the process uh, moving forward.
1: Uh, if if this is if by that as I infer what you're saying here. If I correctly, you you're saying this is the first step in what could be uh, the unwinding of the Mitch McConnell dynasty.
0: I think it's very possible. I mean, I think he's an incredibly formidable uh, leader in terms of keeping his conference together. But this happened. I mean, Lou, this happened. There was you know a a person that ran against him, and they got ten people, and those people. Uh, you know, most of them largely were were out there talking about it. So he's aware of of who they are. And so um, and in the arguments, I think, that are out there are are obviously, you know, the grassroots knows them well. Uh, and in terms of the, the need to be running national issues, uh, the need to support the issue, the people that are on the playing field when you're in the middle of an election. Um I think there's I think the debate is going to start to swirl. um and you know, they took this seriously, and I think there's a reason why they took it seriously because it's it's a crack, and no one wants a crack in the facade.
1: and, and the the cracks are almost everywhere through the Republican Party. Uh, Josh Hawley, I think uh, said it, I think he overstated it. no question. Uh, but I think he may simply have been premature in what he said when he talked about the GOP being dead uh, after this election. Because we we watched the two leaders, uh, Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy, retain their leadership and their power over the conference, despite the fact that this will be the, uh, arguably, it will be the third uh, it could be third uh, slimmest margin uh, in history. You'd have to go back to uh, to 1930 to find anything uh, like this—a a, two-seat majority back then. A one-seat majority in 1916 uh, for the Republicans. The Republicans seem to always have the records on the smallest uh, margin. Right. But this is this is outrageous. And then to retain control. They're looking at at best what, a three, perhaps four seat majority in the House. Yeah. Uh, they'll be lucky to be even in the Senate. Uh, and this, this makes no sense whatsoever to me.
0: How about well, you? It it doesn't. Um, I would just say that there's never there's very rare for the cartel to have consequences because the cartel exists for to perpetuate the cartel. Uh, and it's largely, un- it largely is un- unconcerned about whether we can actually accomplish our policy objectives and taking a broad, bold case and agenda to the American people. I, I would say McCarthy won a vote yesterday to be nominated, but I honestly think, Lou, that his speakership um, has been dealt a body blow uh, in terms of the-, the-, the main vote occurs in January. There were 36 members who voted against them. Uh, most of those individuals uh, are expected to oppose them on the floor, and so uh, my expectation is that there will actually be real change in the House over the next several weeks. The the mainstream media is not reporting that yet, uh, but that's my expectation in, in the in the weeks ahead. Um, but you're right. The lar- to, to to Senator Hawley's main point, uh, we got a long way to go uh, to be able to trust a party to be able to articulate and not hate its, uh, an agenda that's, that's supported by its voters and not to hate their voters. Our, our side has this fundamental problem, which is that our party leadership thinks that our voters are a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing and are ignorant and are not sophisticated and just don't know how the way the world works. And yet they're the ones that are actually in the factories and teaching in the schools and do know the way the world works, because they've had to deal with budgets. They've had to deal with what their kids are being taught in schools. Um, They've had to deal with a host of real world implications, and they just don't have a party that ever resonates with. And I think that's the importance of our America first movement right now is creating. The institutions are Our, ours is, is humbly trying to be one of those organizations that does not allow the party to go back to the conser- the definition of conservatism that we've had over the last 50 or 60 years.
1: Well, I, Russ, I've got great respect for you and what your center is doing, uh, the Center for Renewing America, folks, by the way, uh, it, it is it is to me a, a, a peculiar moment in history when we have so many extraordinary, profound, uh, even existential uh, issues before us that have to be dealt with. Challenges, threats, they call them what you will. But we're not hearing much discussion about the the fabric of the nation, the foundation of the economy, the the, the United States of America. You know something funny, Russ? Have you noticed people don't say United States anymore? Mm -hmm. They say America. But they don't say United States. Uh, and it's an interesting, uh, to me, void in, in the public uh, uh, dialogue, don't you think?
0: I do. I, I mean, We've got a host of, of channels. Uh, look, the fundamental thing that I think ties the America First uh, movement together is the notion of a nation. We're a country. We're a people. And we need to be coherent. We need to have we need to understand that we have interests that we uh, have particular institutions that need to be protected a historic a historical past that informs how we ought to be as a people and the left wants to tear all that apart they want multiculturalism they want open borders they want globalism and they have basically created it so that any one of us who ever uh, decides to to have a different view and go back to an older version of conservatism uh, is somehow called a nasty name, like a racist or a bigot or a Christian nationalist or, you know, something along those lines. And that's what we're up against. But I think the good news is the country uh, knows that, uh, you know, the stakes and knows the games that the other side is playing. We've just got to figure out how to be able to prove that, Republicans are actually doing what Donald Trump did, which was being militantly committed to the promise that he makes in an election and then comes through with it when he was actually governing.
1: And we now have candidate president Donald J. Trump in the race for 2024 Uh, for millions of us. We consider him still to be the president. Uh, We consider the race to be have been rigged. Uh, it to have been an illegitimate uh, uh, election. Uh, he is a president in waiting and, uh, I, and a absolutely offended uh, citizen of the United States who is denied uh, due process and what is reasonable for any candidate or person in this country to expect candidate or voter. And that is a, a, a fair election. Uh, devoid of anomalies, irregularities, and or fraud. Uh, So how do you feel about having the standard bearer for 2024 uh, being number 45?
0: Uh, I'm really excited about it. It's something that I kind of had an inkling that he was going to do, and I was hoping for it, and I've been supportive of of it, of course. And really, it comes down to me, it's just on two fronts – Lou, I think that he's number one, the right person for the job. I don't trust anyone else like I do him because I saw him up close and personal. I saw him uh, this restlessness on behalf of the American people to do what he said he would do um, to defy paradigms that have existed in this place for decades and to go back to how a, a constitution that could actually work. And so. Uh, I think it's been very unfair the way that he's been maligned. He's been uh, persecuted, to be honest. I don't know how you can find another word when you think of the extent. I don't you use know.
1: another word. I yeah.
0: use persecuted.
1: The we're, this, we're in the seventh year of the political persecution of Donald Trump exactly. and his family.
0: And, and so, you know, the, the extent of which he has absorbed arrows on behalf of the American people, he is, a, he can, he is and continues to be, and the left proves this with a preoccupation, a... Uh, existential threat to their regime. And so that, by definition, in my mind, is why he's the person for the job. And there may be great people out there, and I think there are, that could make a great president someday, people who are very good governors and very good senators. The reason why I'm supporting Trump is because of that trust that I have that he is the most likely, because I've seen it, to to smash paradigms and to get a handle on a woke and weaponized government that is against us. And then politically, I think he's the only one that truly will force an agenda that appeals to the blue collar workers, uh, the independents, your former Ross Perot voters, your Donald Trump voters in 2016, in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, uh, across the country. Now, do we have a lot of issues to do deal with election-wise? Yes. I haven't fully processed the last election about what was going on in the ground, but I can tell you we did not win the air war uh, when it came, not, not referring to kind of ads, but referring to the high ground of what you're fighting for. That did not happen, and I do not, I am confident that would not happen in 2024 with President Donald Trump.
1: I think that he will insist on that, uh, focus on that, uh, the issues that are the policy issues that are most important. You're talking about he broke uh, paradigms and, and orthodoxies, I, I think, as well. Uh, which which are you referring to with the greatest uh, delight that he did smash?
0: Well, you know, a, a, a militant consideration of the border uh, being an absolutely important one. I'm very focused on foreign policy and this we have a neoconservative consensus that is designed to get us into these wars and really tricking the American people into them. And we would not be on the brink of nuclear confrontation in Ukraine uh, over their ter- a non-NATO member territorial integrity if this was Donald Trump. We just wouldn't. Number one, Russia would not have moved. But But this preoccupation that exists as if that... You know, Vladimir Putin is the same thing as the Soviet Union. As a result, we need to think through everything from the standpoint of this being World War II uh, is just is killing us as a country, and there are a host of, of implications. But on trade, this notion that you know w- the consumer is always right, that we're not a nation be, be, it, that is more important than our economy, and that the extent to that we need to make decisions on the basis of what's good for the the country and the, the economy needs to be strong, but we need to have manufacturing here. We need to make sure that these, you know, if there's a trade deal, that they don't have the 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 notion that they need to be assessed and, and that, that these aren't basically written by, you know, uh, multilateral organizations and, and big corporations who seem to be the only ones that know how and what is in them, and then they get fast-tracked consideration in the House of Representatives. So there's, you know, all of these big issues that were previously off, off the table, but I'll give you another one. He, in the middle of a campaign uh, in which he was going to have to defend it in, in in debates, he got rid of critical race theory training. I mean, no other Republican would have ever done that. They would have they said, oh, maybe I'll deal with it next year, He wouldn't even let me wait from a a Friday through a weekend to get to Tuesday. He said, no, we're going on a Friday afternoon. We're going to get rid of this. We're going to cease and desist this. That's just the kind of urgency that I'm talking about. But there's a host of paradigms that I that I was able to witness. You know, moving the, the the embassy to Jerusalem, huge issue, and yet everyone internally said it would it would create a massive conflict, and it didn't. He did it because he 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 had he had studied it before he made the commitment. He made the commitment, and he delivered on it.
1: Uh, you know, it's amazing. You look back at that uh, that. that litany of names uh, that have won the Nobel Peace Prize for what they did in the Middle East, and not a single one of them deserves it because peace was never the result of what they did. What President Trump did was absolutely transformational, to use one of my friend Barack Obama's favorite words. Uh, He did change the shape and the direction of uh, that region uh, of the world. Uh, I think you're exactly right. And, and this president doesn't get credit for so much. I mean, he did little small, tiny things, uh, like seek the seek balanced trade. Imagine that it took Donald Trump, a populist, uh, conservative, uh, president of the United States to insist that we have balanced, uh, international trade systems. Your thoughts?
0: No, I mean I would add China to the list. I mean he he changed the entirety of our country's perspective with regard to the threat of China, and that wasn't just done from the standpoint of beginning to get us prepared militarily. That was getting us to understand the economic uh, war that we are in with that particular adversary. The way they steal our companies, uh, the way they take advantage of us. And the, the putting on the use of tariffs, I mean, he, he made the use of tariffs when it came to China uh, a bipartisan issue. And so, uh, you know, uh, just a host of paradigm shifters um, and that you look back on and you just know that of what's necessary to change the country and restore it and renew it. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done. But being able to have those conversations is just, you know, uh, I, I know that those conversations are always uh, within the bounds of what can be discussed and 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 be, and, and proposed with that with that particular president.
1: Absolutely, and uh, he he's a man who will listen widely, uh, not simply narrowly, or you know, with the 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 voices at hand, uh, which I, I for which I commend him. Uh, others would criticize him for that. But as we, as we look at, at what is happening in the world, we're, we're riven with political conflict right now in this country. Uh, the country is uh, in a place we haven't been in, well, since 1860, to be straightforward about it. And in terms of public policy, we're a confused and confounded lot. Uh, our leaders, our elites, if you will, uh because I'm talking I'm calling them elites to satisfy their own egos. I'm not necessarily referring either to their talent or their the capacity. But our Washington DC right now doesn't have a grip, an intellectual grip on what is happening to this country and what the way forward looks like, in my opinion.
0: Yours. I think that's an entirely accurate assessment. Um the way I like to talk about it is that uh, they have no idea what time it is in this country. Of course, the left doesn't. You don't expect them to. They're the ones that are fostering it. But I expect it of the right. I expect the right to have an understanding that we are losing our country and not to be excited or just to, just it gradually accept that this is the way it's always going to be. That all all we're really going to be able to do is change things at the margins, be able to adjust tax tax revenues here and there, and have this deregulatory. Uh, initiative or that. Th- that's what I'm so worried about is that there's just not a recognition by the elites on the right to the gravity of what we face. I mean, we have, it's not the categories that we're talking about. These are not corporations. They are arms of the regime. They are—they have been private. We, the government has privatized its coercive ability to regulate speech into the, the hands of corporate America. And we saw that in COVID, and we see that in the diversity push through the HR departments. And so at a certain point, you have to change your categories of how you think of the world. Same thing with our security agency. Just because it has national security as part of its job description doesn't mean it's actually trying to keep the people safe. And there may be parts of it that do, but the NSA surveils us, the FBI investigates us, and all of that is something that we're seeing more and more data points. And, you know, we have Jeff Clark, who's part of our organization. He's dealing with this on a day-in, day-out basis from the the persecution of the FBI. I think parents, pro-life activists are seeing this in their communities. And so this is a dangerous place that we're in. We're in a cold civil war. We have a government that's against us. And it, it requires people who can... Identify like this is not the 1980s and the 1990s. We need to address the threat and use all the tools that we have constitutionally that, available. And and yet we have folks that aren't even willing to to use the power of the purse to defund these agencies. So there's a lot of work to do. I'm most worried about the fact that the elites uh, are 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 not there yet on the right. But we're getting them there. We're, 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 I like to say that we're going to push you into oncoming traffic. We'll do as, as much as we can to clear the lane for you. But we're going to push you into the into the middle of the road. Yeah, it's.
1: This is a time to to get very honest. One of the things. One of the, and so many sort of uh, you know sacred uh, myths. Uh, exists for the right, including you know neoconservatism as you referenced it. The neoconservatives are still very much a, a power and influence, uh, a driver within uh, the Republican Party, and they are there like crows on a telephone wire, waiting uh, for their opportunity uh, to sweep in. Uh, and it's, and to lead this nation into a direction that this should be the last direction we ever take, and that is toward war. Uh, but we are already hearing them; uh, they're they're clawing in the background now, uh, as we have the you know uh, our the airborne a uh, hundred and two thousand troops on the eastern flank uh, in Europe, uh, for what purpose? For what purpose? Because. Uh, it, it It's madness what this president has unleashed uh, and that's not a partisan statement. it is a statement of geopolitical fact, don't you
0: think i do, and you know there is a a battle on behalf of the in the foreign policy community over the views of Donald Trump and the America first and to suggest that You know, it was, it was all just kind of repackaged neoconservatism, but no, uh, nothing really ever changed. And so you have all the people that were, you know, oh, yeah, I support I support the president's foreign policy in the last administration. But then they're out there leading the cheerleading for us funding Ukraine for the next several years and continuing to let their, you know, not get to the negotiating table. Um, And so it's, you know, it's a huge problem. And so that's 1 of the reasons why. And it's dangerous. I mean, we we're in a dangerous spot yesterday. think about how dangerous it was uh, if 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 the the conflict had caused that missile um, to have been coming from Russia into Poland and it had been done by the the you know Russia as a country. Um, what a mess. And yet they were having the conversation about consultations under NATO. I mean, that's the that's the wheels that start to turn. When you allow this type of conflict to fester and to and not get people to have cooler heads to get to the negotiating table, and this is a, you know something that we need to change paradigms in foreign policy, and 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 we're not there yet. I think it's in, it's insane of us to have an impaired uh, president who is really a puppet for the
1: the Marxist dim cabal, but he, to his credit, uh, in one moment, uh, yes, on. Uh, Tuesday, uh, said, you know, replying to reporters' questions, that the trajectory did not appear to be from Russia, mm-hmm. and I, and he left that sentence alone. He let it speak for itself, and it was correct. Uh, even as the news organizations were trying to gin up, and I mean they did it immediately. That that missile originated in Russia, and if it had anything, it may have been shot down. No, that missile, uh. did uh, did not originate uh, in Russia. The president had it right. He had that moment of lucidity uh, for which I do want to credit him because there have been very few. Your thoughts?
0: Uh, I think you're hitting on a subtle point there, which is he's not strong enough to change the direction of the policy vis-a-vis Ukraine, and he may be unwilling to. But I do think that there is an aspect of him that wanted to get out of Afghanistan and and is very concerned about escalation in in the situation with Russia. Um, And so, you know, I think he's probably empowered certain parts of his administration, perhaps Bill Burns at CIA, um, but he lacks the strength. And so when he makes a decision like the Afghanistan withdrawal, it's just a complete fiasco because he manages it unlike the way Donald Trump would, which is, our interest in mind are going in, and when we come out of a country, and so it's a really subtle point because I think you're right. He deserved credit for uh, some for for keeping the temperature down yesterday, um, but it gets to the underlying weakness of him right. and his inability to change the 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 paradigms that, that they are. You know, the, the kind of bipartisan blob is continues to push in that direction.
1: And of course, the Republican Party has its own uh, tremendous burdens that it uh, totes with us uh, down the campaign trails, and they try to keep it hidden in the shadows. But one of the uh, most difficult issues for the, for the right is United Citizens. But what you, your reference to corporate America, that when it was just fine when it was aligned with the right, but now it's aligned with the left. And it is, in point of fact, a fifth column in this country, as far as I'm concerned, uh, and insidious in its influence. Your views on United Citizens and whether it's time for us to look at that decision uh, and the policies that flow from it.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I haven't thought through the implications of that um, of decision as it pertains to the new world we're in. Um, but it's something that we, you know... I will think about it. I I am really concerned about uh, the the problem of the big multinational corporations and the fact that you know the libertarians out there say that we can't ever have a conversation about uh, the corporate statutes that they rely on to great to such great benefit. And so uh, that's where my mind has has largely been. I mean, in my mind, you've got these corporations that get a benefit. It is a benefit. It's not a free market from that standpoint. They're getting liability protection. And then they go and make decisions that have no bearing on the nation that gave them that liability protection. I think that's wrong. And, you know, the easiest place to to draw the line is you shouldn't be able to use that liability protection and and then rely on on slave labor in in China. I mean, that's pretty easy. Uh, But there's a host of of other questions that need to, to arise in terms of the extent to which you know, they are going to bring jobs back to this country and make sure that we, uh, the nation is strong, the nation that gives them the benefit, is it strong? And and that is not to, to go down uh, a liberal path with regard to some of the, the things that the, the left has proposed, but it is just a basic common sense that we would have had in the 50s or the 40s, where our CEOs would just have automatically already loved the country, so you knew that when they made a dis- business decision, yeah, they were trying to maximize profits for their shareholders, which we want them to do. But yeah, you're st- you're still an American company, and so that right. comes with it. And so if you actually go back and even look, read Milton Friedman, he he would accept the grounds. of of there needing to be this moral basis that has been eroded, and we are where we are, we lack the moral basis, and yet there are many voices that say, okay, with the lack of that moral basis, you don't have the ability to talk about where the corporations need to be reformed and how they're, they're constituted.
1: I, I think one way to say it, too, is Milton Friedman was a patriot when it comes to fiscal policy uh, and a militant when it comes to monetary policy. Uh, the, the United Citizens, deal. You know, I, I had a professor uh, who, you know, you may, uh, may not like this, uh, this professor and his economics, but in his philosophy and his, his partisanship. But John Kenneth Galbraith who insisted that we always look at countervailing influences in macroeconomics and public policy. And there is no countervailing influence on these awesome uh, oligopolies that we have allowed to just spring up around us, uh, whether they be in technology, whether they be in banking, uh, whatever the, the industry or the sector. Uh, and then we don't tax them because some, some fools uh, decided that, you know, they must be right. Well, all we'll do is just pass along those taxes to the consumer. What's the point of taxing us? Well, the point is very straightforward. They pay their fair share. Uh, where they get that share is a matter of uh, finance, not economics, nor should it be public—you uh, uh, know, a, a concern for public policy uh, beyond what is staring everyone in the face. We are giving corporations a free ride, a free rein, and it's time to shut it down. Uh, because their political influence, is, is, as well as their economic concentration, is overwhelming. And I'm saying that as a conservative. I'm not a liberal. I'm There's no, nothing about me that's a liberal. Uh, so what do you think?
0: I, I think you're right. And I think the easiest place that people who wouldn't agree with us would have to agree with us is big tech. I mean, how do you – they literally intervene in elections and are suppressing speech – all over the place, and so you know. Thankfully, Elon is is making uh, a ton of reforms at Twitter, and so maybe that may not be as much of a problem. But these are arms of the regime; uh, they're enormous. Our founders would have also been very concerned about the size of the companies. Uh, big isn't necessarily bad, but when you get to the size of these co- the companies that are rivaling GDPs of other countries, it's kind of a problem. Uh, and you know, you've got to think that through. And these these are the types of, I don't have all the answers, Lou, but I do know that these are the types of questions that we need to be talking about. Well said,
1: and I, I love the way you said that, because none of us has all the, despite, you know, uh, some of the claims by some of the most extraordinary people, uh, there there is no one who has all of the answers. And we've reached a point in our public uh, discourse, debate, whatever you want to call it, uh, in which the people are shutting down free speech they're shutting down exchanges of, of exchanges of views and and perspectives and and the public arena is no longer as no longer as fertile as it once was it, it, you it, you expect a lot to emerge from the political uh, engagement in the arena and so little does other than uh, anger and uh, obscene rhetoric and Very little in the way of change that is necessary for a great republic to continue to prevail against all forces uh, uh, arrayed against it. I just want to say it's so good to talk with you. I appreciate it so much and all the work that you and the center are doing. Uh, God bless you. And we always give our guests the last word, uh, your concluding thoughts, if you will.
0: No, I really appreciate the kind words for, you know, someone like you that's been a leader in this to see the value of what we're doing uh, is a great encouragement to us. And we're always thrilled to come on the podcast and share uh, what we're doing and and, and where we believe the fight is, because the hour's late. And there are few here in D.C., but there are many across the country that want to save this country. and, And we've got to get about the business of doing so.
1: Russ Boat. Center for Renewing America. Thanks everybody for being with us today. Remember, you can follow me on social media at Lou Dobbs on Twitter, Truth Social, and Getter. The handle again is at Lou Dobbs, at Lou Dobbs. And join us here tomorrow when we'll be joined by Chris Farrell, Judicial Watch. Thanks. Until tomorrow, God bless you, and may God bless America.